To optimize the use of resources available and to improve the intervention and to ensure public support, those in charge of operations need to ask themselves two sets of questions. The first thing is, are we doing things right? So are we implementing our plans as efficiently as we can? Or can we improve on how we do what we're doing? Uh, and the measurement for this is often, uh, or the measurements that are made are often called measurement of implementation, measurement of performance, or measurement of efficiency. And that's one set of measurements that are used. Uh, the other set of questions that one needs to ask oneself is, are we doing the right things? So is our plan actually any good? Do we need to change what we're doing, not just how we do it, but actually do we need to do completely different things? And this is what we call the measurement of effects. Uh, and these two evaluation processes, what hopefully they should be able to do if we implement them, is A, of course, to, to answer, are we doing right things right? Uh, but also what they, they should be able to do is to increase the sophistication uh, of our understanding and, and fine-tune the hypothesis that we have, i.e. our theory of change, so that we improve uh, the impact of what we do. And really important it is as well, of all these, these uh, measurement processes should generate some form of recommendations in the end. And since they're so central for the, for the success of operations, one could assume that these are very well established. Uh, but the funny thing is, they're not. Well, it's not so funny, actually, but, but they're not. It's surprising. Uh, one reason is really that it's difficult, uh, and this paper addresses two sets of, of different difficulties. Uh, the first one is challenges that we produce ourselves, so how we make uh, life more difficult for ourselves to improve uh, our, our uh, evaluation processes. And then the second set is uh, uh, methodological problems that are inherent to uh, measuring uh, uh, effects. Uh, so I'll look at those two uh, and I conclude with some recommendations. And if we look at the challenges we set ourselves, how we make our own life more difficult, uh, I'm going to take a step back a bit from Stuart focuses very much on, on just the UK approach and we have to look at a bit, uh, uh, step back and look at the multinational, multinational context as well. Uh, I think it's quite clear and it, 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 we all know it that, that the, the current operations tend to be more ambitious than previous interventions. We don't just try to work in war we, or in conflicts, we actually try to work on conflicts, uh, fighting root causes and so forth. Uh, we also see that, that uh, we, we heard that uh, this morning about the normative influence with the, the liberal peace theory, that we're not really just trying to, to stop symptoms, i.e. stop people from fighting, uh, uh, stop starvation. We actually want to, to, to change the way people think. Uh, and I think this, it's quite clear that this is far more ambitious. We often hear this in the military context, we often hear this uh, slogan about winning hearts and minds. That's not what today's operations are about at all. It's about changing hearts and minds. We want people to think differently. And if we want people to think differently, embrace democracy, uh, what that of course means is, and that's quite difficult to, to accept for many people, is that success, operational success, is not something that we can determine with our own actions. It actually depends on the, the activities of the local population and how they engage in, in peace processes and so forth. Uh, but at the same time, they're not just more ambitious. Uh, these operations are, for, it's far more ambiguous today what we actually try to achieve. Uh, peacekeeping was easy, stopping people from fighting. 
humanitarian operations are quite easy uh, to understand what it's all about. But what we're trying to do is trying to fix states. And what does that mean? How do you do it? Uh, and this, this uh, uh, ambiguousness is, is reflected in the strategic documents, which I think have a tendency, although they say a lot, but they have a tendency to be apple pie statements. Uh, you can look, for instance, at, at uh, Afghanistan. They have to bring so together the, the, the goals of so many actors uh, that they can include almost anything. Uh, if, if you look at the, the aims, they're very broad, uh, they're acceptable to all. You can just look at what uh, NATO had difficulties in, in uh, deciding whether it's conducting counterinsurgency campaign or, or what it's trying to achieve. If we look at the Afghan National uh, Development Strategy, uh, it has 116 expected outcomes. Uh, it's, uh, th they don't necessarily set realistic timelines, as the Afghan Compact doesn't do. And even when they try, and the ANDS fair enough to be fair to it, it tries to give some direction, it tries to set some priorities, these priorities don't actually translate into national agendas of the contributors. So they, 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 while everybody can argue that whatever they do in, in this example, Afghanistan, complies with the strategic document, the ANDS, the Afghan Compact, and so forth, uh, they actually do very, very different things. And that, I, I would argue, is, is a, a sign of or evidence of that these strategic documents tend to be apple pie statements. Uh, the question is, of course, why? And, and the answer is very, very simple. Uh, it's because they all motivate by different motives to, to intervene. Uh, there is a part of altruism, of course, uh, making life better for the Afghans. There is the element of national security, because we see a threat emerging in, in Afghanistan and the region. There is this argument about NATO's credibility. Uh, there are arguments about bilateral relationships to to, with, with the US. So each country, each contributor, each organization uh, decides on many, uh, a whole host of motives how much they're going to contribute. And of course, if we look at set Afghanistan in the center, we're going to see that we don't contribute enough to actually, we're not as committed as we need to be to fix this in, in any shorter term. Turning it around, we can see, if we look at it globally, uh, that we actually overcommit resources to Afghanistan uh, compared to the other 30 or so equally vulnerable states. For exactly the, the, the set of, of reasons. So, what we're left with here, or if it, this is left, we're going to continue to have rather weak strategic direction. Uh, some people can argue that this is actually quite a good thing. It, it gives us some advantages because it's, it gives us a more flexible approach, a bottom up approach, uh, to, which, which is a normally counterinsurgency context. There is, however, real disadvantages as well, and that is that it risks to be fragmented. Um, uh, so we, we don't achieve to reinforce success. And I think this is something that is really evident in regional command south in Afghanistan. Uh, at first glance, if we look at regional command south, everything seems to be very neatly organized and, and uh, one would assume that the evaluation process is really helpful as well, the way it's organized. What they've done is quite simple. Uh, arguably, the, the uh, intervention is led by ISAF, regional command south, the south, uh, uh, which has outlined an operational plan with a three-year perspective, the, the current month release, from 2008 to 2010. And they 
they work in four lines of operations, and these four lines of operations are, of course, reflected in, in the strategic documents, the ANDS and the Afghan conflict as well. So, for security, ISAF has responsibility for capacity building of the uh, Afghan National Security Forces, that is led by the US-led Combined Security Transition Command, uh, and for the third uh, line of operation, governance, and the fourth, development and reconstruction, are led by the PRTs, and they're, they're now uh, uh, merged together to, to governance and development and reconstruction. And this operational plan is quite helpful for, for the assessment because what it does, it says on these line, four lines of operations, it has identified certain uh, uh, decisive points over a timeline of three years that need to be achieved. Uh, so in parallel, what needs to be achieved in what line of operation and so forth. So they have quite a, a good idea of how they think that it's going to work. Uh, and to monitor progress towards this, to figure out whether we're moving in the right direction and if we're moving as fast as, as we can, uh, the Joint Effects Assessment Cell in the Regional Command Cell has set up an evaluation tool which is called the Regional Common Operations Picture, uh, RCOP. Uh, they report quarterly and they base their, their assessments on opinion polls and on uh, uh, questionnaires that they, they give to, to the task forces, so the people under their command, both to the, the uh, task forces and the PRTs. Uh, so all of this seems to be very well set up. The problem is it doesn't work very well. <coughs> Why? Well, it seems that, that uh, they're not getting the answers they need from the subordinate units. At least uh, the quality and the engagement from them vary considerably over time, which of course affects the, the, the validity of the data set they, they, they work on. So why is this? And I think there's, there's Again, there, there are two main reasons for this. The first is, uh, we could say it's structural. Uh, what we see is that contributors don't derive their own priorities from the operational plan that RC South has set up. Uh, they, they look at national preferences and national pressures, and that decides what they contribute with and what they want their own uh, forces to do or their own uh, agencies to do. Uh, RC South's leverage to somehow make them comply is very small as well because, of course, they have no resources of their own. And if you can't allocate resources, you actually have very little uh, impact on what happens. Uh, uh, this is why, why the RCOP, the evaluation tool, and the operational plan, if the nations and agencies don't necessarily comply with it, what it tries to measure progress against doesn't necessarily serve what these countries want to know. Uh, so there's a dissing here. Uh, let me just give an example of, of Canada. Uh, UK is another example, by the way, but I'll skip that since Stuart talked about that a bit. But the Canadians have decided to withdraw in 2011, just like the Dutch in 2010. Uh, 2010. Uh, and the government, rather than saying we, we want to fix Afghanistan or we want to fix Kandahar, which is their PRT, they say that's not what we'd want to do. They have to explain to the public at home why they're there. They have to show that there is a progress. So what they've done is they set six priorities and three signatory projects with very concrete and discrete projects these are, uh, and concrete benchmarks as well. And these are not taken from the operational plan. Uh, so what they do is if they get questionnaires from the ARCOP, it doesn't really do the trick for them. They don't get the measurements they need to sell their progress to, to Canada. And guess what they do if they're very busy? 
uh, well, they might not give this, this process a high priority. Um, the same we can say about, as I said, the, the Brits, the same we can say about the Danes. Uh, add to this now that, that uh, the, the government, the, the Afghan government at district level uh, or provincial level or at the national level also pursues interest, uh, their own interests, uh, then we see straight away that uh, this whole stabilization effort actually is rather fragmented. A lot of good things are, are done, but it is rather fragmented. Uh, we also see that there are different, each of these countries, each of the donors, each of the organizations have their own need for evaluation. And what we also see is that there are a lot of different evaluation processes going on in parallel, uh, which sometimes leads to, to respondents to some evaluation fatigue because they get very tired of, of, of responding to, to everybody's uh, different uh, questionnaires. The second reason I think is, is equally as strong, and that's an individual reason. Uh, Individuals, of course, what we see is we have the operational plan, uh, time span three months. We then have that broken down into an operational order. So a, a, a shorter term plan uh, that sequences how we achieve the operational plan. And of course, this the priorities in the operational order change over time as well. So if you sit there as staff for six months or so, what you're actually working on is the operational order, not the operational plan. Uh, so. The, the assessment tool actually tries to assess something that you don't feel is relevant to what you are doing. So what you do is you don't fill it in as uh, consciously as, as you should either. Anecdotal evidence suggests that, that uh, several people who are supposed to be respondents don't even bother collecting the information. They just do this. Uh, and, and the risk for, of, of all of this is well, one is that the national evaluation processes aren't particularly well established either. Uh, we, we risk that national, or if you want, short-term tactical considerations and evaluations have more influence than long-term strategic operational processes towards stabilization. Uh, if we don't have a measurement process that actually sees if what we're doing uh, is any good. Uh, and equally, we, we, could, we can see that, that uh, it the, the fragmentations uh, risks to increase, and, and therefore we might have less impact. How many minutes do I have left? Two? Uh, something like that, yes. Oh. <laughs> uh, I was going to, I'll just do it very quickly because the, the, uh, the second set of challenges, the, the, the ones relating to uh, the methodological problems, are actually quite straightforward. The, the biggest one is attributing change. Somehow, if we, we, what all these processes do, they measure change. They have indicators to measure change. What they don't, can't say is allocating this change to a particular activity. That's really, really difficult to do. Uh, first of order effects is really simple to do. We dug a well, we have the well. That's, that's easy to do. Second and third order effects would, that often appear with a time lag are much more difficult. Uh, let's say uh, that we increase the, uh, the, the local government's capacity because they actually dug the well or the government's legitimacy. How do you link that to the digging of the well? Uh, that's very difficult to do. So all these processes, none of them say that they actually do this. They're, they're much more modest in, 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 in being assertive about that they, they, they achieved it in there. Uh, but they're still faced with, with a number of other challenges. The only one I want to take up here is the collection of data, because I, that's, that's a real trouble in, in, in this volatile uh, environment. First of all, we have restricted access to, to most geographical areas. So it's very difficult to, to, to develop a good theory of change if you don't know what, 
what you're actually trying to change. Uh, so that is a real problem. Um, often that, that those that, that we collect information from, uh, we, we might actually put them at risk as well. Uh, because if they uh, talk to us for too long, they might uh, uh, get into trouble. Access to females is very difficult. Uh, the volume of data samples is not really statistically valid that, that we have because we can't uh, collect enough. Uh, when we rely on Afghans to poll, uh, to conduct pollings, A, we don't know if they actually did it or just invented it. Uh, we don't know if, if they did it in the area suggested. We don't know if they did it in the numbers suggested. Uh, we don't know if they're accurately recorded. We don't know if the sample spread as we wanted them to spread the sample. Uh, we don't know if those respondents answered truthfully or if they were mainly worried about uh, how does my answer affect my private security uh, and, and what effect is it going to have on, on, on me. Uh, we don't capture tribal or family affiliations uh, of interviewer, interviewees and so forth. So we see that there's a, a lot of problems. Another one is of course that we can just about ask somebody for 30 minutes before they get bored and, and stop being cooperative. Uh, so we can't uh, necessarily use control questions either. Uh, so we have a data set that isn't very good, we have difficulties interpreting this, this data, uh, but uh, if I just jump to the conclusion, um, I don't think that the difficulties we have today disqualifies the efforts to do something like this. I think we need some form of evaluation process where we'll work on them, because if we don't do it, we just do this. And we just we don't have a clue whether what we do makes sense. We need to have uh, and develop these evaluation processes. Um, there are simple solutions uh, to improve the cooperation between different uh, uh, professions. Uh, it has a lot with terminology and just agreeing on some terminology. Uh, but I think the main thing is that we can do is improve the evaluation plan that, that we actually have right now. Uh, I think we have to change the mindset, and, and in some nations it has changed more than in others, from the strategic to the more long-term awareness. Uh, I think we need to improve the utility of the evaluation process to those that actually are supposed to, to, to fill it in, to, to give information, because there's a detachment right now. And the reason there's a detachment, I think, is that right now the evaluation processes are adults. Rather than being integrated in most staff work, uh, I know in some countries that they, they do it a bit more than in others, uh, they, 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 they invent these evaluation processes ex post and it's in an additional cell outside somewhere. Uh, so it's not an intrinsic part of the planning process. And if it were, we would actually have to do what, what the military that tries to do all the time with the effects-based approach. More, it would achieve more stringent planning. Uh, we would think about activity, output, outcome, impact, how this change actually works. Uh, and the ownership of this process must be pushed down. So the responsibility to, to, to uh, collect information, do the evaluation, should, it should be for those that, that actually uh, use it. Uh, so that those that, that, that collect it uh, will push it down to lower levels and push it sidewards uh, so that uh, the, the people in the staffs that are responsible for certain areas uh, do conduct both the evaluation and produce the, the recommendations. Uh, that we draw from this at the end.